With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome to Blue Shirt Banner's Bantering Points with me, Mike Urch Jr. and Tom Murphy. Tom, say hi. Hi, Mike. So we're going to start. Well, I should point out that you and I have switched last names for this show because uh, we're wacky like that. Um, but I, we have a couple of questions from patrons we're going to start off with, one of which is a will we'll spark. I don't know if it's a debate. I've never heard your take on this so I'm, I'm curious we'll have to see what tom says but hit me with that first patron question tom so this first question comes from michael canick question after listening to the flagship from 3-3 wouldn't all the places you ran through as potential landing spots for hank also be teams that would want gorgiev thinking of boston in particular so for those who didn't listen to 3-3s Basically, it was trying to find spots that would fit for Hank um, in sort of like this 1A, 1B role. Um, we ran through a couple of them with me settling on Boston as one that I thought was most likely because Tukarask is used to a um, a sharing of the role and Yaroslav Halak is a free agent this summer who's likely to go elsewhere. So it's an interesting point that Michael Kanick brings up re Gorgiev um, because theoretically if he sh- proved himself Boston would want to sign him long term and maybe as a potential replacement for Rask and given the salary cap situation that the Bruins have that could be a way to save money so it's definitely an interesting thought um, what do you think Mike? It de- yeah it is an interesting thought it, like the market for Georgiev is going to be better than Lundqvist because I think Lundqvist is a very specific kind of commodity. Like, and frankly, his his value is is on a kind of drastic downward trend right now. But a team like Boston is, you know, I don't see why they wouldn't want to look at Georgiev. I don't like another team that strikes me as it would make a ton of sense is Edmonton. Like, and you know, they, as you know, they had Mike Smith um, and he's a UFA after the season. They have Miko Koskinen, um, but obviously goaltending has not been their strength. And they're a team that, you know, maybe they're, you know, a goaltender who's capable of stealing a bunch of games away from getting a little further in the playoffs or, you know, making sure they get to the playoffs. And it does make sense. I mean, 
It's a good point that Michael Canick raises is that, you know, I think there are some cases where, like, maybe maybe a good example is a team like Washington that might consider Hank as, you know, a 1B or a backup to kind of help guide, uh, you know, Samsonov. You know, maybe that makes more sense to them than trying to acquire Georgiev, especially if if it's a case of, you know, the Rangers just kind of make it work and they, they aren't focused so much on the return of what they get for Lundqvist. They just look at it as cap space created and gained. And they get the PR bump of, you know, doing something to, to get Hank another, you know, swing at the cup. Yeah, I certainly think that they're going to, like, as we said before, they're going to, once the game, once the season is over, they'll look at all the options and it may be a situation where the market for Gorgiev is just so hot that they can't pass it up. And then conversely, maybe it's a situation where there aren't as many suitors for Hank as he might've thought. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was a good question from, from Mike, uh, and um, I'm very interested to see what happens in the offseason. And then uh, our other Patreon question comes from Perennial Powerhouse. Hey, guys, what changes, if any, would you like to see the NHL make to the current points structure? Personally, I hate the loser point and the shootout. Why should Columbus be in the playoff race because of 15 overtime slash shootout losses? I'd prefer a point structure similar to soccer. Come on, Arsenal. Well, I, I definitely agree with that. Come on, Arsenal point. Um, humor me on my proposal. Regulation win, three points. Overtime win, two points. Extend overtime to eight minutes. Shootout win, one point. OT, shootout loss, zero points. Or bring back a draw instead of the shootout with one point awarded. Um, yeah, I definitely think that the current system is asinine. Um because you get to a point where at this time of the year, it makes sense to strategically play for overtime. And if it was a situation where you could get three points in regulation and really do yourself a favor in the standings, more teams would go for it because there would be more of an incentive. Um, But the NHL is dumb and they always want to say, well, there's so much parity that anyone can win any year. Look at how close our standings are when really it's just a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, I was the when I said I was excited about uh, the question, this was the one I was talking about because are you pro shootout or anti shootout, Tom? I mean, I I really don't care for it all that much. Um, I'm hard anti shootout. Yeah, like my nephew enjoys it. Like he, whenever we're looking at highlights, the first thing he wants to do is like, all right, what games had shootouts last night? Um, so he's a big fan of the shootout. Like I don't hate it. I don't love it. If it went away, I'd get over it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would just say I'm ambivalent. I think the whole premise of getting rid of draws was just was comes from the idea of selling that you'll always have a winner and that's what fans want like people are both dissatisfied right if it's if it ends in a draw but i'm perfectly fine with a draw i'm also i'm here for an extended overtime uh you know i know they don't 
they do the minimal uh, Zambonying uh, to make it so it jumps right in overtime. It might get tough to go to eight minutes without resurfacing the ice, um, which could just be a, you know, like a logistics question about how, like, how much can you really get away with um, without doing a full resurfacing of the ice. Uh, with that being said, I, I always, like, three-on-three OT is so goddamn good and fun. Just have more of it. Let it keep going. Let it go to ten. Like, I want ten minutes of it. Um, and then, you know, maybe let teams catch a breather, uh, you know, at some point. Like, you take a TV timeout and you let them breathe. But, man, I just, I've never liked the shootout. The other thing is it, it kind of robs the novelty away from penalty shots. Because... Like, growing up, you and I grew up in an era of hockey where, like, a penalty shot was, holy shit, everyone, like, it's on Sports Center. whether, even if a guy shot it wide, like, it was the thing to watch. And, like, it's still something that garners a lot of attention now, but it, it doesn't have the same novelty because so many games go to the shootout. And often cases, it's like, yeah, the, the game ends in a shootout and... You know, it's a skills competition. It's a gimmick. It's, you know, why does that team get an extra point um, for doing something you do at the end of practice? Like, we're doing at the end of playing street hockey with your friends. And, you know, I I know, like, the XFL, I think they recent Their overtime structure is based on the NHL shootout, I think, where it's it comes down, like, you know, how many, like, red zone conversions you can get um, you know, in, in five attempts or what have you. But the looking closely at this, like the, the point structure, I like the idea of a regulation win counting more. I just, I think it would be simpler just to, to just say we can have a draw um, to extend the overtime. But like all the tiebreakers, I think are fine. Like I like how, you know, regulation wins, um, you know, are the are the most important thing. Um, you know, unless, of course, in the, the highly unlikely event that there's a tiebreaker where one team plays more games than the other in a season. Um, but it's I like that it's regulation wins, and then I think after that it's overtime plus regulation. Shootout wins mean less. So, like, you know, it's, it's known that they mean less. And... Um, then the you know then it's overall wins and then I think it's the then it goes down to like the season series right uh, from there in terms of tiebreaker situations, but that's what I think about the most with this is the tiebreakers and the goddamn shootout which I detest, I hate it Tom. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about the shootout and then I'll let you take over for um hashtag bannering points. Whenever I think of the shootout, I just think of Big Daddy and how he's like. This is, you know, a penalty shot in overtime and it only happens like once every so many years. And it used to be a really exciting thing because it didn't happen all the time. Um, so, but yeah, it's become a little more uh, ordinary. So yeah, not as much be, thrill. It used to be you had to watch it. You had to watch everyone's penalty shot attempt. And like you'd look back on, especially like in the days of Pavel Bure where you know, he got to attempt so many just because he was a speed demon. And I was like, oh shit, it's Pavel Bure again. And now we've gotten to the point where, like, there, you know, we have 
data on like the best performers and shootouts and the thing that strikes me the most about that tom is no one talks about it <laughs> like no one looks at like i remember a couple of years ago teams were talking about like i don't know you you might get him as a shootout specialist a guy to have on your fourth line but i haven't heard the term shootout specialist since uc yokanen was in the league you know what i mean like it's it's just not considered a like an asset because it's it's a breakaway you're supposed to be able to score or at least come very close to scoring if you're you know a top six forward but yeah that's the end of my rant i had to go off a little bit there um yeah let's let's hit the mailbag here tom with some bantering points first from uh vote blue to save the planet and it's a picture of a koala uh from world by mike if david quinn is worried about defense so much that he demoted kako why does he continue to trot out Stahl and Howden and Strom? They are the worst defensive players in the NHL, both on the PK and in important situations. Better yet, Tom, why isn't Howden in the AHL? So there's a lot to unpack. Um, regarding Stahl, we talked a little bit about that on the main show. He's one of the veterans. He has this reputation of being... A defensive defenseman, oh, it's not really the case. Um, I don't think anything's going to change there the rest of the season. Howden, I agree, should be in the AHL. Um, it's interesting that he was the one forward uh, other than Gautier who was sent down and recalled um, at the trade deadline for the point of him being eligible for the AHL playoffs. Um Strom is another one who's interesting because he puts up a lot of offense, um, relatively speaking, but his defensive game is lacking. It's sort of a situation there where it's, uh, I don't quite understand it. Um, but I guess the one way I could answer this question is that, like all coaches, there are players who... Quinn just relies on more than others and it's something that he will continue to do um, do I necessarily agree with him no do I expect anything to change no um, although I will say that in fairness when Strom did have a horrible game he was benched in the third period so and that was recently so at least there was some um, sense of accountability there Of all the guy, like of all the storylines we talk about, Brett Howden to me is probably the one I feel like you know we should talk about more in Blue Shirt Banner. One that more Rangers fans in general should talk about. He is, I, I've I've said this before, so I'm sure I'm a broken record to some people, but the McDonough to Tampa with J.T. Miller blockbuster has aged pretty poorly, um, especially considering you know, how everything has shaken out with, with Howden, with Lieber Hayek, um, and, you know, of course with Vlad Nemestikov and what the Rangers were able to get in return for him after he had a career year. Um, and, you know, Gordon's decision to sign him to what he signed him for was just, uh, special, but uh, Brett Howden this year, Tom, his most frequent line mates, most frequent by far has been Capo Caco. Which, it goes without saying, 
has not done Capo Caco any favors, and it it's not surprising at all that his Corsi like shoots through the roof when he's not on the ice with Brett Houghton, which is something that I don't think gets talked about enough. Is that it's pretty clear that you know Howden drags down Capo Caco to some extent, and the other most frequent line mate he has uh, at evens is Brendan Lemieux. Um, and then it's a very, very steep drop off. And then it's actually like Philip Heedel and I think a uh, quickie, Jesper Fast. But like looking at this season, looking at Brett Howden and where he is right now in his development, I think if, if you're the Rangers front office and more importantly, I think if you're David Quinn, I think you have to you have to ask yourself what you're getting out of Brett Howden that you couldn't get out of like Phil DiGiuseppe. You know what I mean? Like is the idea yeah. here that he will develop better in the NHL? I mean, he's still 21. So in like he is I think I forget who said it. I think it was Adam and he made such a good point that like Brett Howden just comes off as like yeah, this is a center. He's 6 foot 3. He's like 200 pounds. He's, you know, Western Canadian guy, he can skate. But I think the big problem for him is comes in like hockey sense. And, you know, he scored, you know, it's now he's played two more games than he played last season, Tom, and he has five fewer points, um, a couple more goals, actually. Um, but the thing that stands out the most to me is that he just doesn't seem to be able to get away from, like, and this is not uncommon. I should say, I should preface my next point by saying this. It's not uncommon for this to happen, but Brett Howden is a guy who you can go 10 games without thinking about him. And he's in the lineup. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. And Howden is someone to me who, it's like, he catches a lot of shit and it's not all his fault. He was looked at as someone who was like a big return uh, a big piece of the McDonough return and I think that he was just brought along too soon because prior to um, joining the Rangers he had only had I think it was like four or five games of AHL experience before that he was a junior Syracuse he just had like a little taste of it but not not to the point where you would be like, okay, yeah, you know, he's he's seasoned it anyway. It was just a little, a little something, something. And the fact that he made the team, remember, you know, two seasons ago over Elias was the big talk. And then, of course, you know, everything happened with Elias Anderson. But it's kind of crazy to me how much he's been able to stick around on a team that has had this, has had the headaches it's had with prospects, you know, namely you know, the odysseys that both Vitelli Kravstov and Leah Sanderson went on this season and how Philip Hedl started the season in Hartford, for God's sakes. Like, it's really interesting that Brett Howden has stuck around. Yeah, I kind of thought he would have fallen off by this point. Um, but I guess that the team does see something in him, but it'll be interesting to see in the off season because he's sort of been I don't know in the sense that they've tried him out at wing they've moved him back to center so they may not no longer be as high on him as uh, they once were but uh, 
Yeah, like, I to definitely. Me at this point, I think he's he's going like he's projected to be a fourth line center at this point to me. It just it's just the question of what sort of fourth line center will he be? Right. And you know, is he's a guy who definitely has clear deficiencies in the defensive zone. So is he just a guy who, you know, has good size but isn't overly physical and you know can score ten to eleven goals a season? You know, is that what Brett Howden will be? And you know, I hope not. I hope he's he develops into so much more than that. I hope that I'm underestimating him. And, you know, it's it's worth pointing out that I don't think it, it speaks volumes that every kid on this team, and by kid I mean, you know, guys who are like 22 and under, who's been in the bottom six has just not been able to shine, right? It's the exception is, of course, like I think Ryan Lindgren has been able to shine playing when he was playing on the third defensive pair, but that's defense. Like if you're the amount of time that like, Michael Haley's been around, and Greg... I couldn't believe this number, Tom. I don't know if this is just me, but Greg McKegg has played in 57 games as a Ranger this year. That's crazy to me that it's that high. Yeah, it's about 40 more games than I thought would have been... Uh... <laughs> yeah, right? Back in the offseason, we were like, oh yeah, Greg McKegg, uh, sure, but it's the two forwards who have played in all 68 games for the Rangers this season are Brett Howden and Ryan Strom. Just, <laughs> that's interesting it just it's and you know like a lot of the cases of course it's injuries right like Panarin missing a yeah. game Booch missing a couple games Jesper missing missing a game Kreider yada 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 but like mm-hmm. in terms of Ironman for for forwards it's Brett Howden and Ryan Strom it's just uh it's a lot to think about good for them yeah I mean we went pretty deep on that one but it's it's fascinating to me especially because you know, didn't really touch on, you know, the Mike specific question. So why, why do we see Stahl, Howden, and Strom on the penalty kill? I think in some part, there's there's the overarching, uh, you know, trend that centers by nature are better defensive forwards than wingers, uh, just because of you know the responsibilities attached to the position. You just have to be aware of so much more on the ice. Um, you know, and responsibilities are fewer on the wing. And I think that has something to do with it, that they're both natural centers. As to Stahl, and I know you touched on this before we went down the Brett Howden hole. Even though I I agree with you, Tom, that he's not like, it's tricky to call him a defensive defenseman. I think that is what Mark Stahl is. I think the problem is he's just not an effective one anymore. But he's... He fits, he checks like every box you can think of for, you know, a coaching mentality for who do you want um, on your penalty kill. You want someone who's unflappable, he's been around, he's seen everything, he's experienced, you know, he's a defense first guy. Whether or not that means he's exceptionally good at defense, we'll think about that later. But, you know, it's it doesn't surprise me that Mark Stahl is still on the penalty kill. It doesn't surprise me. You know, it kind of surprised me that, you know, Howden and Stromar, but the other part of that to me is, all right, so well, who else who else would you have on the PK then? Yeah, it's like I would, if I were the Rangers, it would be sort of like you want to be having like a power kill where you want to have yeah, players man. who can, can generate offensive chances like, I would try Panarin on the PK. I'd have him, you know, maybe I'm here him. for that. Yeah, I mean, 
it's a, a situation. Yeah, I that that's what my thing would be. I mean, I, I don't see why Booch can't kill penalties. Um, he's a better defensive player than people give him credit for. Um, defensively, I'd like to see Fox kill more penalties. Um, yeah, big time. I was actually just looking this season, Tommy. Uh, all you know, every penalty kill scenario. In terms of the average ice time on the PK, so these are the guys who are deployed the most. It's Stahl, then it's Mika Zibanejad, uh, then it was Brady Shea, uh, then Truba, Jesper Foss. So, so far, no surprises, in my opinion, right? Then it's Strom. Um, so, Strom is the, you know, the third most deployed forward on the PK. And then you have Ryan Lindgren, who's been trusted a lot on the PK. Then you have Brendan Smith. And then you have Brett Howden. So it's Brett Howden is the fourth most deployed Rangers forward on the penalty kill. And after him, it is, funnily enough, it's Greg McKegg. Oh, McKegg has played 51 games. My bad. It's Lemieux who's played 57. But still, 51 games for Greg McKegg is a lot. But like, yeah, my point being like, so if it's not them, who do you... Do you use Panarin on the PK? Do you like? Are you going to use Buchnevich on the PK? You're not going to use Kako. You're not going to use Filipito. Um, it, when Kreider was healthy, I think for in terms of the power kill, I would have loved if Kreider got a little taste of it. Also, you know, in in ten games of the Rangers, Gautier has played zero uh, time on the PK. And interestingly enough, Kreider in sixty three games. Average three seconds a game on the penalty kill, Tom. So, yeah. That's the tough thing to me is if it's not those guys, who is it? But I still think, you know, Brett Howden is not a great option there. Um, From Panarin2020. Hey, Mike and Tom, do either of you think Keandre Miller signs his ELC in the next week or two? I would say he doesn't sign his ELC. I would Mm -hmm. say he signs a... a, um, ATO with uh, the Wolfpack. Yep, I think I think that's the most likely scenario to get around burning um, ELC and you know the idea of yeah we want they'd like to see Keandre up close I'm sure but like we talked about in the flagship, ugh, the Wolfpack. It's not quite as crazy as it was last season after the deadline, Tom, when it was just. They were just the main Mariners at that point, but because um, the Rangers just created so many holes with deadline deals, and they just had to call up Hartford, and then of course that left Hartford with calling up Maine, and then I don't even know what happens to the main Mariners at that point. Tom, I think they have like circus animals in the lineup. Um, Before we um, we go any further, we can uh, take a nice little ad break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
And just like that, we're back. Magic. Podcast magic. From Nick DePala, should the Rangers try and target a center in the offseason that is a face-off specialist, hopefully among other good traits? I can't remember the last time the team was good at face-offs, and I'm of the belief that they're hugely important, especially on special teams. So I wouldn't say that being a face-off specialist would be a primary trait to look for. Um, I think that there's been work done that shows that there's not like a huge correlation in terms of winning face-offs and, and generating offense. Like it's, I think it's negligible at best. Um, but I definitely think add as many centers as they can to the system. You want to prepare for life um, where, you know, you have injuries. You want to have a situation where if, say, Heedle struggles next year um, in a number 2C role, if they are to move on from Strom, um, having someone to potentially replace Strom at a good value. Um, so, yeah, add as many centers as you can because it's something that's um, beneficial and good depth to have. Yeah, I wasn't aware it's this bad, Tom. Rangers are 30th in the league. The only team worse Buffalo Sabres, Rangers 46.5% at draws. Uh, the thing that's interesting to me about this is the last time, I mean, this is just kind of nutty to me. The last time the Rangers were at 50%, so last time they broke even, Tom, it was 2012 <laughs> um, 2013. Like you, I'm of the opinion, especially at even strength, that Face-offs, like, the correlation to specifically creating chances is not terribly strong. But for things like special teams and for set plays, if you don't have it, it seems to stand out more. Um, and that's actually, it's it's funny that we're talking about this question right now is uh, because someone who's really, uh, you know, I think has been interesting in terms of what he's done or hasn't done with face-offs is Brett Howden. Um, you know, but... It's not, it's not really a, a particularly strong point of anyone's game. Um, you know, this season, I, it's funny actually. Last season, forty-eight point four percent for Howden. This season, forty-eight point four percent. Can't make it up, Tom. Um, and then the face, like there's a lot of the cap hit situation makes what happens is so fun. I was going to say like there's a lot of funny wrinkles because like. The Rangers kept Jesper Fast. He's a pending UFA. So do you extend Jesper Fast? How much money does that leave you for doing something like finding a uh, you know a depth center who's let's say you know to circle back to the last question like a defensive specialist center who happens to be good at faceoffs, right? Like does that guy exist in free agency? Like the chances are extremely high that it does. I mean, that you can get that guy for like a million a year. Is that a priority? I'm not sure. Is a veteran center option a good idea instead of, let's say, maybe like a guys who are more natural wingers like Greg McCagg and, uh, and Di Giuseppe? I think so, right? Like as a veteran 13th forward, the guy to kind of stick around and end up playing 51 games and we're surprised by it. I like that archetype a lot more than the uh the journeyman like uh like greg mckegg as part of the team uh, which is like it's ironic that i'm giving greg mckegg some lip because he's been you know productive recently but 
Um, face-offs are a, like a point of contention in the hockey world, but I think it's for good reason. Every hockey player you ask, especially centers, will tell you that they're super important. Um, and, you know, I know that from interviews in men's hockey and women's hockey with centers, like, they care a lot. And it's something you take a lot of pride in, and it's like a momentum thing. It's hard to define what it's worth, but you definitely notice when you're not winning them. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I mean, not to say that there's no value in them, but I think that we've come along and looked at there are more metrics we can look at that show, okay, this is having a positive on play, whether it's puck possession, whether it's you know expected goals. It's, it's looking at those metrics. It's like, okay, this person in, or this player is doing the things that can generate offense and can is generating chances. And I think that those are more important to look at than, okay, it's really, it's a coin flip. Like, did you win the face of or not? You know, yes or no. So yeah. my two thoughts on that. The last, this is the worst the Rangers have been at faceoffs, Tom, since the 0405 lockout. Wow. Wow. Um, from it me, Jeff D. While Igor was out, did Georgie get all the starts so the Rangers could see more of him before the offseason? Or was Lundquist sitting because they've moved on? I have thoughts. Um, yeah, this is a meaty one that we haven't, we haven't, to- we've nibbled around the edges of this, but we haven't sunk our teeth in. I don't understand what's going on because as (laughs) others have pointed out it seemed to be that okay we're going off the goalie win so if you're a goalie you win a game you know you're you're getting the the next start in net and that just seemed to be um the the way of the world for or the rangers um so I'm just pulling up their their recent slate of games. Um, yeah, just so meritocracy, the idea of who's got the hot hand, who wins a game, you keep going. Right. So you had two games in Philadelphia. Um, you know, one with one with Gorgiev, one with Hank. Um, Gorgiev loses in Philadelphia. Hank comes back against the Flyers um, at home, and he does not you know, uh, get good results in front of him. And a lot of people were like, Oh, this is why Hank is so washed. But it was like one of his first games in over a month. So then they go back to Gorgiev against the blues and Gorgiev loses. So logic being okay, Gorgiev lost. So they would go back to Hank, um, against the capitals, but Nope, Gorgiev was in goal. And, um, that's right. He gave up five goals. Um, they won that game. Yeah. You know, Zabanajer had scored five goals, but Gorkiev has not played really well as of late. And um, especially the thought being, starts, it's like yeah. okay, um, yeah. So then, obviously, Igor is healthy, so they go back to him against the Devils, and Hank plays the third, and you know, there's not much really going on. Like he was tested early on a breakaway, and he, you know still showed what he can do and my thought would be okay you know what um let let igor clear his head a little bit more let him get a little more practice time in um and you know go with hank against dallas but nope it's gonna be igor against dallas and i'm gonna bet uh that it'll be gorgiev um against the avalanche and then 
you know, Igor against the Coyotes. Um, I really don't understand what the thought process is. Are they trying to protect Tank because they might buy him out? Um, do they really feel that he's not a good goalie for them? It's just so vague and it's like the rationale seems to be changing where the reason for um, Igor starting against Dallas is, you know, he had to shake the rust off and, you know, we want to give him another, um, you know, kick at the can type of deal. Um, But yeah, I, I honestly, in all honesty, and I would say like, you know, someone's you know watching this team writing about them for like the last 10 years this has been one of the most confusing situations that I've ever encountered and it's something that's definitely coming to a head in the offseason and I will be really interested to see if in fact they do move on from Hank and he does go to another team um, how well he plays and if this looks like you know the Rangers ending up with uh, egg on their face yeah, I think when this situation first started developing with the three goalies, I remember saying over and over again on the show to you and to listeners that this was a problem you want to have. And now seeing where things are, my answer actually isn't like I don't I'm not going to take that back because the bright side of this is that the Rangers know have such a better idea of what they have in Igor. And they have a much better idea of where things stand with Georgiev. And I think, you know, the inconsistency in, like, the system they had set up, like, you know, you win, you play, as you had mentioned, um, you know, is super important. Especially because, I mean, I cut you off when you're getting into it, but Georgiev has not been strong in his last three starts. But, um, you know, before that, uh, he had a stretch of really good games. Um, And... You know, it's he did win against Washington, but he finished that game with like an 8.53 save. And even though that game was just like a shootout, but like, you know, the haggling goal right away, and you know, yada, yada, yada. But it's, I feel like this looks like the Rangers don't know exactly what they're doing because I feel like that's what's authentically happening here, Tom. I've, this is a really tricky situation where you're dealing with the face of the franchise, the guy that's been, like, not just this, you know, not just this, the spine of the team, but, like, you know, the rib cage, the pelvis, you know, <laughs> the mandible, every part of this team. You know, Henrik Lundqvist has held this team up for so long, and now we are undoubtedly in the transition phase of his role here and his time here, and, you know, we're seeing him not get a lot of ice time and it's it's really it's tough for hank i mean it's got to be impossible for him because you know his reputation is if he wants to start he's going to start but that's you know that whatever that talk i i would love to be in the room for when that talk happened with quinn and hank about how many starts he's going to get um specifically after they brought up igor and you know when Quinn named Igor the number one and all that, like it's such a crappy spot for Hank to be in. With that being said, this is still a good problem for the Rangers to have, but it only stays that way if they find a solution that doesn't end up with them getting egg on their face. And more importantly, it doesn't end up with them in the same situation heading into next season. Yeah. The last thing that I'll say is I just question 
what the actual plan is just because at the time Quinn had pretty much said every goalie had a chance to prove themselves sort of state their case and at that time Lundqvist was far and away um, better than Gorgiev when you're looking at it from an underlying metrics perspective and looking at what he did um, with the performance of the team in front of him I mean I've shared um, the side-by-sides a few times of what the Rangers um, Corsi 4 is their you know their shot share their expected goals and actual goals and Hank has not had a lot of help for himself so I fully realize that Igor is the future of this franchise um, I fully realize that him playing as many games um, as possible is a good thing but I don't want them to believe or sort of force themselves into thinking, oh, we have to keep Gorgiev around because he could be something really good too. Because while he may be, they're going to end up in a position where, okay, they're going to try to move on from an asset and everyone knows, well, they're moving on from him because Igor's shown he's going to be the guy, which limits their potential return. Um, But then it's also a situation of, we we fast forward to next year if you have you know collective strugglings in net there's not a veteran there who's who's been through it before that can sort of just you know what go on a run for a little bit and, and, and take the pressure off where it's it's just going to be the spotlight of oh you know what how would things have been different if the rangers had kept Lundqvist, you know a tried and true veteran who was able to work through things um so Again, it's a very interesting situation. It would be a lot better if there were actually clear parameters of what they were trying to do. Because if you look at from the time that Igor was called up and how starts were handed out, there doesn't be to seem a set rhyme or reason. Okay, here's why this goalie played. Here's why this goalie didn't play. It just seems to be a lot of moving of the goalposts, which makes it hard to pin things down. And we're trying to be as fair as possible with the franchise and in, in, in how we're evaluating this because we we can admit that there are things that we don't know. Um, but when you're saying, okay, every goalie had a chance to prove his case and the numbers don't add up, it's like, what the fuck? Tom gets and spicy. Rant. I like it. No, I'm right there with you. It, it's just such a... It's such a delicate kind of prickly situation and you know i feel like it's not dissimilar uh to the way things were were handled with kevin shankirk but it just it goes a lot deeper because it is hank right it all the inconsistencies all the little wrinkles here like oh the rangers didn't tweet anything about his birthday that's well what's that about like it just it's stings a little bit deeper and longer because we're talking about Henrik Lundqvist. And the bottom line is there's no good way for Henrik Lundqvist's time in New York to end unless the Rangers get in the playoffs and win the cup and he's the starter for the decisive game. Like, everything else is a bummer. It just, in varying degrees of being super shitty, that that's how things will end between Hank and the Rangers. But... I mean, hockey's a business, even though it, it's religion to a lot of people. Do you have so, something to add, Tom? 
yeah, so not Hank related. We talked about this on the um, the main show, but we can update it now. Um, so Frank Cerverly, um tweeted that NYR and Kodorenko have agreed to terms. Expectation is Kodorenko will arrive in Hartford on an ATO. So just putting a bow on that topic. Wow. Very good. And we had just had one more question, Tom. And... Uh, this is another one which, you know, in our stable of, of uh, dead horses, this is definitely one of our favorites. Uh, but it, it's an interesting question here from Jason Silberman, which was, is, is Lindy, Ruff, is Lindy Ruff responsible for the play of defensemen in all zones or the play of all players in the defensive zone? So that distinction. But if it's the former, should Ruff get some credit for the play of D'Angelo, Fox, and Lindgren, all having exceeded expectations this year, Tom? Well, it's the responsible for the the defense um, primarily. I believe that's the way that it is. Um, where I think it's what um, Greg Brown is responsible for. I think the PK or um, actually, while I'm so I'm gonna look something up while I'm I'm talking about the other ones, but. Um, it's tough to say like how much credit you would give for like say D'Angelo Fox and Lindgren. So like most of um, D'Angelo's success this year has been on offense. So um, I don't know how much credit you give Ruff for for that. Um, Lindgren is one who I I think it's fair to say because he's he's played very well this year. Um, but again like he's played a lot with Adam Fox. So I wonder how much of that is just sort of by, um, osmosis. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, it's, it's tough because like we all get on Lindy Ruff and rightfully so, but there's like, there's things that you really can be criticism for. Okay. So I found what I was looking for. So there's this great website. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, it's called Behind the Benches, and it has all of, all of these coaches' information. So, Lindy Ruff is defense and penalty kill. David Oliver is forwards in power play. And then there's Greg Brown, who's defense in power play. Um, so, technically having two coaches for um, the defense. But, by and large, Lindy Ruff is the more experienced um, of of those on the coaching staff. So it's, it's primarily his, um, framework, I would say. And if you look at how the Rangers play and you look at some of the teams that, um, Lindy Ruff coached in the past, whether it's Dallas or Buffalo, you definitely can see, um, some of those tendencies there. Um, so to give a short answer to a lot of rambling, I think we have enough evidence to see that, um, it should be time to move on from Lindy Ruff. And it's hard to isolate good offensive players being good offensively while looking at some of their defensive contributions not being everything that you would want on a regular basis. Yeah, my my take here is I think like a lot of a lot of what has stood out specifically about D'Angelo and Fox is what they've done in the offensive zone. And the thing about that is, I think 
you know, someone like Lindy Ruff will deal a lot with the defensive systems and structure, um, you know, and making sure players stick with the program and, and they watch film and they make sure, you know, that's what they do. But D'Angelo and, and Fox just are exceptionally good at making decisions when they have the puck on their stick. And that's been going on long before Lindy Ruff got involved with uh, their careers you know, on the Rangers coaching staff and while they've been Rangers. So I would hesitate to assign credit to, to rough for them. I do think like Lindgren has been a success story, but I, I do want to, I think you did a good job of, of this in, and how you phrased it with like how much of it might be osmosis through Fox, but he's been a, a modest success story in that expectations were low. Um, and so the fact that he's exceeded them is interesting, but it's not like, you know, holy smokes. Like, there's a very, very strong chance the Rangers, even after the Brady Shea trade and even after, you know, with Smith and Stahl, there's a, a good chance that Ryan Lindgren isn't, you know, on the the Rangers team that comes out of the other side of this build-rebuild as a fixture. Um, he could be the seventh defenseman. He could be moved on. Who knows? Um I, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to crap on the kid, but it's it's tough to look at what he's done and, and be like, yeah, you know, this is an irreplaceable irre irre plea. Oh, my God. Irreplaceable piece, Tom. For whatever reason, that was a tongue twister for me. Uh, I like that he's been this good, especially because I had very low expectations for him um, when he came over in the Rick Nash trade. But I don't know. I just... I'm not that crazy about it. Like, I'm not crazy about the whole situation. When I think about the Rangers this year, I think about how good the goaltending has been on the whole. I think about Panarin. I think about Zibanejad. I think about Booch having a good year. I think about Capo Caco being a disappointment. Um, and how Adam Fox's year has kind of helped offset that, uh, to some, you know, to some extent. Um, but overall, I don't know, Tom. Like, I don't look at the. You know, I don't. I don't look at the situation with with Ruff and see a lot of reason to. To rush to giving him credit for things when, you know, the Rangers have, just not been terribly good when it comes to the defensive side of the puck. Um, I also think it's important to say that, Lindy Ruff shouldn't take all the blame for that either, you know it's. It's at the end of the day, the buck has to stop with David Quinn. Um, but you know, when you look at how the Rangers have done this season, um, you know, and this is just these are just the basic, the most basic numbers. Uh, they're fourth from last in Core C4, and you know, their expected goal differential is sixth from last. Um, and you know, going deeper still they're sixth from last in scoring chances for percentage uh none of those things is good tom like i know that nhl teams have different metrics and they value different you know things and like the the data we have access to on natural stat trick might not be on the same level in terms of nuance and data points as what they have uh in the rangers organization and other places but i just 
you can't look at what's happened with this team in terms of the defense and feel good. Like, cause the big headache is, is of course the goaltending situation. But after that, especially in light of the Truba deal and the decision to trade, uh, Brady Shea and the upcoming D'Angelo contract, like the defense is still very much a, a puzzle where we don't have all like, you know, when you build a puzzle, you get all the edge pieces mm-hmm. and you do those first. I think this defense is, we don't have all the edge pieces in. we still don't really have an idea of like the direction we're heading yet with this, especially because, you know, of the log jam on the right side, but also, I don't know, Hayek, Rikov, I don't know. It's, it's tricky. And then of course the big factor in, in a lot of this is Lindy Ruff and how long he's going to be here. Um, you know, we, we talked about on the flagship, how Gordon and, uh, and Drury both got extensions. Um, and I think both of them were deserving. Um, but it's, you know, is, is Lindy Ruff going to be here? How much longer does he even have? I don't know. I don't know what his contract is. Hopefully it's over soon. Hopefully Tom, it sure would be nice. Just, I want, I'd love for there to be a little more confidence in what the Rangers coaching staff can do and, and will do. And I know, like, when the Rangers were starting to really push, you know, put their foot in the door and become a part of the playoff discussion, there's even some rumblings about David Quinn for Jack Adams. Um, and I was like, wow, okay, that's super interesting to me. Um, especially because. You know, at the same time, Panarin wasn't getting any talk about earning the heart until you wrote about it, um, it seemed. But looking at this coaching staff, like, yeah, you know, there are things going in a, in positive directions, but there's also things that are just, like, not going anywhere. Like, you look at, you know, specifically Brett Howden and the shortcomings of the defense as a collective and how much of that is tied directly to the Rangers systems and a lack of contribution, in the defensive zone from, from forwards and all those things factor into this. So we should make that clear and not just make this the, the Lindy rough uh, dog pile, but it is, it is really interesting to me to think about what the organization thinks about the job Lindy rough has done and how important it is to put a guy in place, the right guy in place, the right person in place with so much youth coming up on that blue line. You do not want to have the wrong guy in place. Yeah. And and that's what makes how they approach this offseason, not just from a, a roster construction, but even a you know coaching standpoint as they're looking to make the upswing and, and you know progress even further. Um so it's it's things to uh definitely consider. And on that note Thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us on uh, Off the Post. And you can send in your questions using hashtag bettering points. Um, you can also send us questions through Patreon if you sign up for the Patreon. Um, we appreciate all of those who are um, supporting us in the show. We, it really means a lot. Um, and uh, we will see you next week. Take care, everyone.